0: So, interesting thing happened this week. Someone was supposed to preach today, and because uh, I'm, I'm in seminary right now, and I had a class all day yesterday, and so I did not like prep this week. I was not in it. Then fr- Friday afternoon, I got word that maybe he wasn't going to be available because he was sick, and I was like, okay, I'm going to let my brain start wandering to the passage of the, the book of Ruth, which is where we are today. And uh, then yesterday he said, well, I'm feeling a little bit better. And I said, well, why don't you just let me know tomorrow and we'll see. And so on the way to class yesterday, I listened to Ruth like seven times back and forth and just kind of soaked in it a little bit. And then this morning he said, I think I'm good. I said, great. And he five minutes later said, I'm not good. I said, okay. God's good. Here we go. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't say that to say, all right, look, here, I'm going to deliver you a, a message. I say it because I want to do something different than we normally would do. I want to help. I want to go through the book of Ruth the way I would study it with you involved, still landing on Jesus like we normally would, all right? So we're going to do a bit of an all-church Bible study on live stream. Sorry, shout your answers real loud, and maybe we'll hear them. Um, Jess says she can watch the live stream, so if you want to suggest things in the comments there, you can. What I want to do is, uh, all right, for the sake of the recording, we're going through a series called Gospel Family Tree, studying the genealogy of Jesus from the book of Matthew. So in essence, it's a really long Advent series leading us up to Christmas because that's where the genealogy ends, right? And so we've been looking at different people along the way. Now, granted, it's covering 2,000 years of people. So not every person is listed there, actually. Um, but the Matthew's, giving us, Matthew's giving us highlights, right? So we covered Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're all people of Abraham, children of the faith. Um, then uh, Jacob's children from there, Judah, Tamar, that crazy story, Rahab. And today, we get to... Uh, another woman who's listed in the genealogy named Ruth. I believe Matthew lists the women that he does for a reason, uh, some of which is to see that the outsiders are brought in, all right, through these women of of faith, as it were. And so what I want to do, excuse me, is we're going to read each chapter out loud. So I'm going to read the first one. I want you to take note of anything that sticks out to you. Anything that you notice, and some of which I'll try to throw up on the board, just try to keep track of things. All right, anything that stands out to you, something you got questions about, that's fine. Anything that jumps out at you, because uh, this, is, this is how I would study the book and come up with a talk anyway. So we're just going to develop the talk together that you can remember or give to your friends later, okay? So I'm going to read this first chapter uh, from the book of Ruth. If you remember in the scriptures, you have the five books of Moses, then the book of Joshua, which is the the people entering the land, the promised land, and they're starting to con- you know, conquer the land. Then you have the judges, where anybody's just kind of doing whatever they want, and it's kind of mayhem in the area of Israel. And so the beginning here is kind of set, it's letting you know it's happening during this time frame. The children of Israel have moved into the promised land, but they haven't quite conquered everything like they should have, and it's chaos is reigning, kind of a corrupt time, corrupt society. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Melon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah, meaning they're from that tribe. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, not Oprah. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. They said to her, We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, But Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, "'Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people "'and to her gods. "'Follow your sister-in-law.' "'But Ruth replied, "'Don't plead with me to abandon you "'or to return and not follow you. "'For wherever you go, I will go. "'And wherever you live, I will live. "'Your people will be my people, "'and your God will be my God. "'Where you die, I will die, "'and there I will be buried.'" May the Lord punish me ever and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? It had been over ten years, right? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So, there's several things that stand out to me in there, but what, what stands out to you? Anything anything at all? Yeah. Boom. Naomi, blaming God. Bitter, right? That's, that's, she, says, she says, call me by a different name. Call me bitter. Now, granted, that's a really bad situation, right? I mean, we can be honest about that, right? That's a horrible situation to have to go through. But the text definitely wants us to see that, right? The author of this story wants us to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just going to write stuck God help whatever emergency is happening out in the world bless our first responders what else so this story gets orally told for years why what are we supposed to know what are we supposed to see in this Ruth really loved her mother-in-law. So Ruth devoted devoted love for Naomi, right? Yeah, great observation. She's committed So why is that weird? Why is it weird that Naomi is not showing faith? She's living in bitterness and and Ruth is showing faith. Because Ruth is a Moabitess. So for those watching online, uh, what Lynn just said is that First of all, it's really weird that Ruth. It's really weird that Ruth is the one is showing faith and showing devotion because she's the one who's the outsider. She's the foreigner. She's that, She's one of those dirty Moabite people. She shouldn't be doing this. While at the same time, Naomi is the one. Who, what did you say? She's way far out of it because she rebelled. They left where the promised land. They left the promised land, and her sons, I don't know if she could be blamed for her son's behavior, but maybe. The sons marry foreign women. They weren't supposed to do that. And now the foreign woman comes in, and she's the one showing faith. Scripture is interesting. It's always showing us something. Again, oral uh, tradition, right, that this is passed down for centuries, and people are telling this story, probably during the exile, to people who are now outside of the land, right? Right? So Naomi, Naomi says, hey, why don't you guys go back? I don't, have the ability to, I don't have the ability to give you a son. Why does that matter? What have we talked about already up to this point, particularly with Judah and Tamar? Yep. so Naomi has no ability to give the kinsman redeemer, as it's called. Right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, this concept that there's supposed to be, a, if, if one son dies, another son is called or another relative is called in to help redeem that family so that the family line can go on, sometimes just buying the land from the widow to give her a, 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 you know, a life supply to bring her into his family or perhaps more intimately to, to marry her and to give her children so that she has a son, hopefully, that can care for her and that that family line can go on. So in this case, Naomi's saying, I don't have the ability to give you another husband to replace Malon. I can't. I'm too old. You're not going to wait that long anyway. It's ridiculous. Just go home. Go back to your gods. Go back to your lands. Go find your place. One of the things that I find really funny is she comes back into Beth. Naomi comes back into Bethlehem. Did you get what she says? I went away full, and I came back empty. No, she didn't. She left because there was a famine. So what's happening there, right? Well, what do we do when we get bitter? We start to rewrite history. Ah, oh, when I I was just to be so good. No, it wasn't. It was bad enough that you were unfaithful and you left. It's funny, right? And sometimes in our physical desperation, we forget God. Things get bad, sometimes because of our own doing, and we blame God. Get bitter. Start rewriting history. Oh, I used to be full. Now, because of this dumb God, now I'm empty. (laughs) Poor, Poor Ruth standing next to her. She's like, I went away full. Now I'm empty. Oh, hey, by the way, this is Ruth. Come on, right? I mean, like, just, you gotta you got get into it. Like, it's a story, right? Like, inhabit it. Put yourself there. You know, imagine what's going on there, right? So basically, Naomi's bitter. She rebelled with her husband. They left the land. God providentially allows this thing to come into their lives. It gets better back in the homeland, so they decide to go back. She has no way to provide a kinsman redeemer for her daughter's-in-law. No way to provide life. No way to provide life for herself or for Ruth, who's going to stick with her. All right, let's go on to chapter two. Uh, Yes. Yes. Oh, like used in wedding ceremonies? Yeah, okay. I didn't know that. See, communal reading is good. Yeah, so for those watching online, uh, Dick was saying that 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 verse somewhere around 118, I think it is, that that little poem there that you get there from Ruth is actually used in wedding ceremonies, uh, which is wonderful. All right, somebody's gonna come up and read chapter two. So just take, what? It's on? Yep, you're on. All right.
1: Chapter two, Ruth meet Ruth and Boaz meet. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth and the Moabites asked Naomi, "Will you let me go to the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor?" Naomi answered her, "Go ahead, my daughter." So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servants, Who is in charge of the harvesters? Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little bit in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you? So that you notice me, although I am a foreigner. Boaz answered her, Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the sun bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went to the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, He's also told me, Stay with my young men until they've finished all my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. She lived with her mother-in-law.
0: Great job. All right, what do you see happening here? What's happening in this story? What did you say? Protection. Protection. I'm gonna start to go over here. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, protection, right? Provision. Protection. <laughs> Quite a coincidence. Self-aware, aware of her situation, where she comes from, No, she, she would have gotten some dirty looks for some folks, this, this foreigner coming in, farming the land. Who said that? Shows Ruth's courage. Yeah. Her trust in God. I can't write all that up here. I'm just kidding. That's my wife. Okay. No, no, but it's it, it's a good point that this reputation would have followed them into town. People would have learned the situation. Here, you have a, a a family member who knows the story, who's learning the story, and is still starting to show kindness towards this foreigner who's working in the fields. I'm going to keep poking at that. Okay. Why does where does that come from? Does anybody know sort of why he would do that? Why, why, like biblically, why? Yeah, Abby. Yep. Called to help by law. There's another piece of the law that's at work here. Anybody know what it is? Yeah. Uh, So it's this concept in a Levitical law, Mosaic law, that you would, when you were farming your fields and harvesting, that you would leave some behind. Leave the edges a little bit so that, that, that literally the term is aliens, foreigners, the poor could come and glean as well. Friends, let me insert this here. It is biblical to care for the foreigners among us. From the beginning, God says, you're going to have foreigners among you. I've blessed you. Allow them to have a little bit. Sub lesson over. Okay. So yeah, so he's, so let's say this. So we haven't named him yet, but we're talking about Boaz. Boaz. Law abiding in two ways. Well, one that we've seen so far. He's called he's called He's called noble, gracious towards somebody who wasn't in his own family being unlaw abiding, offering protection, provision. Yeah. Can you just imagine her situation? Widowed, wearing widow's clothing, foreigner working in the fields. She's a target for abuse. Particularly nowadays, this is who gets abused in our world the most, women who are in trouble. She ends up in Boaz's field, which is this incredible coincidence. One of the things that stands out to me about this whole book, we'll see, is that God is hardly mentioned. Yet he's all over it, is he not? This is God's providence Working through creation to restore creation—that's our good, creative, fascinating storytelling God. It's amazing. So Boaz takes notice of Ruth. He, he wants a report. Whose young woman is this? Because these servants who were there—they belong to somebody—and he's like, who, whose is that? Because that's not mine. Who's that? Who's who's this widower or who's this widow out here harvesting the fields?" And he's, like I said, living out the law in this corrupt time of the judges. It's a wild land, it's a wild west. And he's noble. He actually speaks once about God, God blessing the harvesters, and bless you. And Good steward. Steward, attentive. Aha, that's a big deal right there. Attentive. He sees her. Scripture is often pointing something out subtly when it says he sees her, and then she gets named. You'll see later that somebody doesn't get named. She gets named. One of the things that I want to draw out here, just kind of symbolically, that's a terrible set of wings. But he notices in her, like, hey, you're coming under the wings of God. But it's through him, right? Right? You're coming under the wings, under the protection of God, which is a a symbolism that makes its way through the Old Testament repeatedly, coming under the wings of God for protection, for renewal. And then he blesses her. He blesses her. He invites her to feast at the table. Seems like a midday meal of some sort. Maybe it's a late afternoon meal. Blesses her with this... Bread, as it were. Wine. Oh, that should in our typological reading backwards from the New Testament to the Old Testament, we should say, oh. That should do something in our hearts where we say, oh, there's a there's a there's a communion meal happening here of some sort. They're breaking bread together. There's wine. Oh, like that, it should start to stir something, you start to see the inklings of Jesus here. So he invites her to feast on the bread, the wine. It says that she can take more than is even allotted for. She leaves with leftovers. He protects her reputation. He says, don't humiliate her. Because again, he knows that she's ripe for abuse. He says, leave her alone. Let her take more. She can come to the table. Let her take more. And then he loads her up when she leaves with... And ephah, twenty-six quarts. I thought about bringing somehow twenty-six quarts, and I thought, no, I'm going to make a mess. But it's like it's like eight pounds, ten days worth of food. They say ten days of bread making material, food making material. So he's again, you start to see here that he's providing her with life, sending her off with life. All right, let's let's go into chapter three here. I'm trying to make up some time. Sorry. I love this stuff. Which is good, because it's my job, but I'm trying to help you love it as well. So let's read chapter three together.
2: Ruth's appeal to Boaz. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you'll be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, "'Who are you?' "'I am Ruth, your servant,' she replied. "'Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer.' Then he said, "'May the Lord bless you, my daughter,' You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today.
0: So now you've got this this plan, this plan starting to come to fruition. What do you see happening in chapter three? This is a good soap opera, friends. It's a great story. Yeah. Uh, as, you'll, as this unfolds, you'll see he's just, he's, he's like next of kin. So because there's no, men that close, it starts to go out from there to who would be next in line. They don't say. They don't say what he is. He's just in that tribe. He's from, he's from the same Ephratites. He's from a Limelech's family of some sort. So he's connected there somehow. So he's, he's in the line of successors. Naomi's instructions did not tell her what to say. She says, just go on down there and see what happens. In my my reading, in my reading, maybe you see differently. That's fine. Doesn't say, but it's nebulous at best. Just go do this whole thing and he'll tell you what to do. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's just be honest. That's a scary proposition. Naomi's like, shouldn't you find shouldn't I find some rest for you? Shouldn't I find some help for you? Doll yourself up. Well. Think about it. Now, okay, we need to understand, we need to understand overall context. Ruth has been painted as noble. Boaz calls her that in this passage. And the text wants you to see that she's noble. Boaz is seen as noble. The text wants you to see him as noble. Personally, I don't see anything inappropriate happening here. There are some scholars who think that "Eh, maybe, you know, maybe something happened here. Listen, not every character in Scripture is a moral example. The lesson is that God's the moral example over and over again, right? He's the faithful one. But, But in this case, I don't think anything happened here. But let's just be honest, she says, take off those widow clothing, get your best outfit on, get cleaned up. You haven't had a shower in a couple weeks, put on some perfume, sneak in while he's in good spirits. Hebrews like, he's drunk. Like he's had a lot. It's a good harvest. They're celebrating. He's feasting. It's the middle of the night. A woman, he, wake, he wakes up, doesn't know who she is. There's just a woman at his feet. that's weird. It's risky. Does Naomi know that she's setting this up? I don't know. I, 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 sometimes we don't know, friends. Like we, I'm not trying to like say, I, we don't know. But you see what, what Ruth does with it. See, Naomi's kind of the eh character in this whole thing. So again, her behavior here might be eh. But Ruth does it. So it's likely that she's proposing marriage, right? Like, that seems to be what's happening here. It's just the the circumstances of it are... Now, maybe it's because she's a foreigner. She doesn't want to go in the middle of the day and present this. You know, we we don't know. Like, we don't know all of what's happening there. I'm just... I'm willing to say, like, it's... I mean, let's be honest again. He could have taken advantage of her, right? He's powerful. She's there presenting herself but he doesn't, right? In my, in my reading, okay, again, I, I do think the text wants us to know that he's noble, she's noble. I think in the end, that's what we're supposed to know about these two characters. But it's dicey, it's risky, it's frightening. But Naomi's trying to, trying to make this plan to come together. One of the things that stands out to me about Boaz, again, that speaks to his nobility, is she present, uh, Ruth presents this idea to him Hey, you know, you're the redeemer. And he says, yeah, blessings. You want to come under my wings? I'm not not young anymore. You could have pursued younger men. You didn't. You pursued me. But do you notice what happens there? He goes on to say, but there's another who's in line. What does that mean about Boaz? He had already started looking into it. And you are astute. I like it. It's true. Boaz has already started to do the math. He sees the possibility here. So again, I think it speaks to his nobility that he he goes on to say, it's not me first, though. So I'm not doing this. Again, I think that speaks to why he wouldn't have, you know, succumbed to any kind of proposition if there was one there. He knows that he's in line, but he knows that he is second in line. And so he says... And The chapter ends on a big cliffhanger. I don't know. We're just going to have to see you in the morning. All right, let me see what we can do about this. But blessings on you. I, you know, I, I want to. I, I want to. I want to bring you into the family. And we see that, it, that, that he, for, this stuck out to me. What, is it, what does it say that he sends her off with this time? More grain. In Hebrew, it's like a lot of grain. A lot of grain. Maybe, I think, I, I wrote it down. Maybe, yeah, six. So perhaps, perhaps six ephahs would have been like 48 pounds. So now we get to see like the real picture of Ruth. Like she's tough. She's strong. Like 50 pound bag of flour. You know what I mean? Like she's taking it. But here's the thing. This is what I pictured. You have this, this woman with this shawl. He says, you know, hold out your shawl. This cloak, as it were. And he fills it with 50 pounds. Some of you women who've been pregnant carrying around 50 pounds. And now she's holding it. She's holding it. She's walking. Maybe it's in front of her. Maybe it's on her back, old school baby style. She's walking back into Bethlehem. And I couldn't help but picture Mary. Just, just a little foreshadowing. Again, this is the one I see. Like This is the stuff that excites me is that here he's giving her more life He's promising her provision and protection, like we talked about, under his wings, under the wings of the Almighty. And he loads her up, and she goes back, carrying this life to Naomi. And he says, he said, I shouldn't come back empty-handed. Again, there's that word empty. Now he's reversing it. He's reversing the emptiness. But it ends on this cliffhanger of what are we going to do? What is going to happen? There's another out there who's supposed to be the Redeemer. What do we do? So we come to chapter 4. Boaz went to the gate of the town. Again, now he's being noble, right? He's bringing this before the people in public view. Again, rich, well-to-do man says, I'll take this foreigner. Picture it. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer, Boaz, uh, had spoken about, came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz is a boss. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech, which family member, right? I thought I should inform you. Just wanted to let you know. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, dun, dun, dun. On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal. This is fascinating to me. Just a little tidbit. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. Take your shoe off. Okay. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, you do it. Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders of all the pe- and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel, May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez? What? May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring, the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well-known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. That's a terrible translation. Became a mother to him is what it says. She became a mother to him. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Holy smokes. I cried when I read this yesterday. Just just mm, the redemption of God. Unbelievable. What do you see here? Last little bit here. Hmm, how so? Yeah. Constantly chooses grace. Right. Chooses grace. Yeah. Yeah. For those online, just basically saying that he constantly had to deal with different various forms of conflict that would have gone in himself as far as following the law, honoring people, honoring Naomi, dealing with his own reputation and over and over again, he chooses grace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll say willing. Boaz is willing to sacrifice, whereas other guy, as you called him, is unwilling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, a man of integrity. Fascinating about this, other guy, unnamed. Scripture, again, wants us to see something. Doesn't even get named. In Hebrew, it's Pomoni. Mr. Pomoni, Mr. So and So, it's really kind of it's like this just weird word. Mr. So and So, he don't want to do it. He's unwilling. Yeah, defending the law, self-protecting. Self, self-protecting, wants to, wants to hold on to his own inheritance because he doesn't want to see if it's spread about through these other families because he would lose a good portion of his own stuff. But to your point, that he was, but Boaz is willing. He's willing to give, are you going to say something, Katie? Hmm. Beautiful observation. Public witness, publicly elevating her status. Yeah, and then and then the public, the public gets in on it. The blessing, the family, saying, Man, this is amazing. This is amazing. May God do this amazing thing through here, through through this family. May his name be famous in Bethlehem. We get our first little little hint. Christmas sneaking into the story Bethlehem the city of David ah so now we're getting to where David's family starts to like really come into the picture Matthew knows what he's doing when he's writing this story You want to preach next week? <laughs> so, uh, what's your name? Bobby, uh, Bobby, a guest, boldly here today, uh, is, is saying that what, what's interesting about this, the, the, the sort of the typology you start to see here is that, is that Boaz is the redeemer for this family who's going to lead to David, who ends up becoming the redeemer for Israel. But he's a broken redeemer. So then we get to the redeemer. This is the beauty of this. Yeah. 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 So the point just made is that, is that through the storylines that we've looked at, you have people who are trying to make their own, make the promise happen. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, wrestling with God, trying to, trying to will it into existence and make it happen. And here you have Boaz who's willing to just let God's providence play out. and He's willing to just walk along with God one step at a time, faithfully obeying the law. It's wonderful. The last thing I want to point out, or... One of the things that sticks out to me is that here you have Perez mentioned again. Perez, who comes from this really jacked up relationship between Judah and Tamar. And now they're like, oh, may their kids be like Perez. But they know. Or as they're writing this down later, they're wanting us to remember God's redemption through even all of this brokenness. This thread that flows through all of it of God's provision and God's care and God's able to, being able to redeem even the worst situations, it's just beautiful. So, here's what I want us to here's what I want us to see. Thank you, you guys. That was awesome. I mean, yeah, go ahead, yeah, Lynn. Right, right. His source, his source of provision is walking right next to her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In our bitterness, we can't see the, God's provision, right, Stand, standing right next to her. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Yes. Yeah. Not the story you would pick. Yeah, it's not the it's not the the story of heroes. It's a story of all these outsiders, which to me um so We're just going to erase other guy figuratively here. So Boaz, three things that I kind of just wrote down here real quick as we wrap up. He's willing to share his inheritance, right? Uh, Willing to share the inheritance as the kinsman redeemer. So as a a foreigner, right? Brings this no-name foreigner. Into the family. Again, there's a theme of that throughout Scripture. <laughs> Despite God saying, avoid the foreigners, this is the beauty of the gospel. Forever changes his own reputation and hers, right? I mean it's rewriting rewriting the story so that she's now known as something different. Will make, make your name great in Bethlehem, which we know happens. The story's telling us that. It comes to it comes to David, right? And it forever changes the family line. Right, like I said, leads to David. All because he's willing. God works in his heart to make him willing. It all leads to David who would be born in Bethlehem as the redeemer of Israel, the one who would save them. Let me ask you a question. Who's this story really about? Bonus question. God, okay, okay, that's a better answer than what I had. I would argue it's really about Naomi. It starts and ends with her fall from grace and her redemption. You know, we, not that it isn't about the other things or about God, but despite, like look about God's kindness in this, despite her rebellion, despite her in a rebellion, leaving the promised land, going to Moab, God is kind to her. Despite her passing blame, just call me bitter. God did this to me. Despite her blame, God still pursues her. Still provides and protects her. Despite being self centered, not even caring about Ruth, it seems like at times, only worried about her own self, like we talked about, sees Ruth as a burden, God still pursues her and blesses her through Ruth's devotion, through Boaz's provision and protection. And the end of the story is a son has been born to Naomi. (laughs) It's fascinating. What she lost, she regains in Boaz and Ruth's son. God still pursues her despite all of those things because of this willing kinsman redeemer who's willing to share his inheritance to these foreigners, to to these people who rebelled, to these bitter people who are trying to fix their own stories. Friends, Jesus is the better Boaz He is the kinsman redeemer of all of humanity who, like Boaz, follows the law in the midst of a broken culture, welcomes the stranger. He's righteous in the midst of corruption, and he embraces those who seek to find refuge in him, like Ruth. And as we talked about before, he's actually willing to be wed to them. The church is the bride of Christ, that, that Jesus is willing to be wed to you and me, to bring us into his inheritance, to bring us into his family, the foreigners who are on the outside, buys them back by laying down his life, saying, "I don't. I, you're worth it. I'm willing to give up my life, my reputation, to bring in this vagabond group of people, This rebellious group of people, this bitter group of people, this people trying to work their own story into goodness. I'm willing to bring them in by me dying and transferring my life, my righteousness, my inheritance to them. He is the better kinsman redeemer. So, as we move to celebrate communion today, will you come to Jesus today, the better redeemer? Whether you're Ruth, (laughs) an outsider, new to God, new to Jesus. But you realize your poverty? You realize you need him? You come in need to the table, asking for bread, asking for wine, asking for life. because That's ultimately what the kinsman redeemer gives, gives, is life. Or maybe you're Naomi, a rebel heart, running from God, casting blame, bitter. God says, come back. Come back, friends. The gospel's new every morning. Come back, repent and believe. This week I was uh, I was studying, soaking in do lectio divina. It's a spiritual practice of just kind of meditating on scripture. And I was reading in John five and six when Jesus does the miracle of the feeding of the five thousand. And after the feeding of the five thousand, he comes. He says to his disciples who are there, "I'm offering you bread that lasts. You're looking for this temporary bread. I'm offering you bread that lasts, bread that lasts into eternal life, that is full life. I am the living bread," he says. He says, "Eternal life is to is to eat this bread." to consume me, to <laughs> take me on. My, my, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink, he says, which did raise suspicions that he was a cannibal. You know that? Which, likely, I mean, like, makes sense, right? So a lot of disciples are like, ah, this is weird. I, I, this guy, we know him. We know where he came from. He looks like Nothing. He's saying his body and his blood are real life and eternal life are found in him. If we just believe in him, then we believe in God, and we're going to find eternal life. And they're like, nah, I'm out. That's weird. And he turns to the disciples, and I turn to you this morning and say, do you want to leave also? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. So this morning, we come to the table of the kinsman redeemer who says, eat, eat, drink of me, find life in me, I'm offering it to you. Don't be bitter and rebel, don't run away, come back. Find shelter under my wings, find full life. I have the words of life for you. The willing sacrifice who gave himself up so that we could have his inheritance, so that we could be brought into the family of God. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together.